today on Ag News Daily. Yeah, if you think about it, in many ways, we've already seen a lot of AI technology in places that we just don't even really think about. Listeners, welcome back to the Ag News Daily Podcast, May 2nd, 2023, Tuesday edition of the podcast. Tanner and Delaney here hanging out, not necessarily together, but together via technology. That's right. That's all we can ask for. It's <laughs> fair, right? That's fair. Absolutely. Did you have a good night last night? Did you blow away? I didn't blow away, but it sounds like some folks in Illinois might have Tanner as they got a dust storm on Monday that cut visibility to nearly zero, which triggered a series of chain reaction crash- crashes involving dozens of vehicles on Illinois Interstate 55 heading south. Roughly 40 to 60 passenger cars and 30 commercial vehicles were involved in this accident pile up, and it unfortunately killed six people and injured at least two dozen others. But two of the big rig trucks caught on fire as a result of the dust storm and pile up crashes. So it's about a two mile stretch on the highway near Farmersville which is about 200 miles southwest of Chicago and was not a good ordeal, Tanner. Yeah, it uh, was certainly a headline that caught my attention as well. The Illinois Department of Transportation said that they will make sure the roadway is thoroughly inspected before it reopens, but they're pretty much determined that the cause was, like you said, that dust storm. So, yeah, that's not great there we also have probably some potentials for some more dust storms as you look here to the northern portion of iowa parts of minnesota and wisconsin we've got red flag warnings in those areas according to the national weather service It'll be sustained winds up to 25 miles per hour with gusts near 40 relative humidity in those areas are as low as 20 percent, which is what leads to that red flag warning central and northern minnesota uh, we'll still be breezy, but a little bit chillier. Uh, we will continue to keep an eye on that as well. Otherwise, it seems to be pretty much standard weather throughout most of the rest of the U.S., Delaney. It certainly does. And we're going to see temperatures really start to warm up again this week, which was helpful for planting progress. As I think a lot of farmers recognize that those cold conditions we had last week were just short term, and we saw planting progress move significantly ahead for this past week. Nationwide corn planting moved ahead 12 percentage points to reach 26% completed as of Sunday, April 30th. That's 13 percentage points ahead of last year at this time, Tanner, but in line with the five-year average. Also saw about 6% of the corn had emerged as of Sunday. And on the soybean side, planting progress moved ahead 10 percentage points last week to reach 19% as of Sunday, 12 percentage points ahead of last year's pace. And as we look at winter wheat conditions, those actually improved just slightly. And DTN has a really cool little chart 
on their website here this morning that looks at specifically how each state is doing. It kind of breaks down uh, progress and conditions in each state. So I thought that was kind of neat. But nationwide, winter wheat was rated 28% good to excellent, up two percentage points from the previous week. So certainly trending in the right direction there for winter wheat country. But in the weeks ahead, like I mentioned, we're going to see a pop of warm weather here later this week across the Midwest. And that should hopefully help to continue things growing and emerging and all that good stuff, Tanner. Yeah, I wonder if that's going to have another positive impact on the wheat conditions too. So we'll keep an eye on that. But you're right, the map of the U.S. is quite interesting. We talked last week, the North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, Iowa, Wisconsin, Michigan are all pretty much behind as far as corn planting goes. Now, those same states minus the state of Iowa are behind average for planting for soybeans. I do think there's quite a few of our listeners that jumped into their planter and started planting soybeans first, or at least we're running both the corn and soybean planters at the same time. But my last piece of weather-related news comes to us from Spain. We just wanted to remind our listeners that are experiencing dry conditions that you aren't the only ones. You go over to Catalonia, Spain, and they have uh, extreme drought. They're experiencing right now a 100-year drought. The This area of Spain, this region, is their area for corn, sorghum, and other crops as far as growing there. This northeastern part of Spain has had their 100-year drought, and their rain flow, rainfall is at the lowest level for years. So compare some of their field conditions to that of a desert. They've been in a drought since the beginning of 2022. The lack of rain and snowfall throughout the winter for 2023 was only at 36% of average as they look through that season, which they were relying on extra moisture to fall. Throw that in with some record temperatures. Last Thursday, they smashed their April temperature records with an average of 101.8 degrees during that last week of April. That is uh, by far the largest. And then Delaney, on top of all of that, They've had nearly 760,000 acres burn in spring wildfires due to these dry conditions. So just so you guys, not to try and make you feel better about yourself if you're in an area of drought, but even more thankful for the rain that we have been getting. But there's an area of Spain that is going to have jeopardy uh, to have their corn crop jeopardized as far as progress looks right now. Yeah, I don't think anyone along the Mississippi River, Tanner, is wanting any more any more uh, water or rainfall as we officially saw the Mississippi River in Davenport, Iowa, crested at 21.4 feet and has now flooded downtown Davenport, which happens pretty frequently, I have to admit. Uh, But we're continuing to see the rising river in southeast Iowa and northwest Illinois uh, was caused by a surge of water from melting snowfall from the north. And we're continuing to see that play out now in some of these lower states here, Tanner. Yeah, again, we'll continue to watch the locks and dams to make sure that we can keep you updated as to when we can start getting barges headed back down the river. But thanks for giving that little bit of an update. Sydney, coming out of Australia, their central bank issued a 25 basis point move on their cash rate. This was a surprise and stunned their markets. 
This sent the Australian dollar soaring overnight, and a lot are wondering if this is a preemptive move against what the Fed might do here in the United States. The Reserve Bank of Australia raised their rates to 3.85 and announced that there may be some further tightening as they are looking to bring inflation back into control within a reasonable time frame, using quotes there around those terminologies. But here back in the US, the Fed kicks off their two-day policy meeting today and is looking to push our central bank's benchmark to the overnight highest it's been in over 16 years, hitting a potential plateau which has been described by a lot of financial analysts that um, might lead on to an economic slowdown, such as the crisis in 2007. This will mark the second straight meeting that will be convened in the aftermath after a bank failure. We talked about that yesterday with the JP Morgan's uh, purchase of First Republic Bank the latest evidence that there may be a little bit more shakiness in the banking industry. But we'll continue to watch and see what the meeting minutes and announcements come out of here. Obviously, the Fed continues to watch and maintain their views on inflation. Inflation, their target is to get back to a 2% target, which a lot of analysts say is nearly impossible. However, when you looked at the uh, slip, it dropped 1.7% in March. So we'll continue to see as these meetings take place what things are going to look at. But what are the odds, Delaney, that we could see more than a quarter percent hike? So it is just a very interesting situation. All we can wait and do is uh, sit and look for their announcements. We'll make sure to get those to our listeners when they come out. Well, one thing we missed last week, Tanner, that's in line with this is looking at the U.S. debt ceiling. We saw last week the Limit, Save and Grow Act was a hot topic on Capitol Hill last week. Despite commodity groups clashing about SNAP benefits, the House of Representatives voted to approve this new act, which would look to lower spending on the U.S. debt ceiling here over the next 10 years. The split on SNAP specifically was related to the existing work requirements for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, which um, provides benefits to able-bodied adults without dependents. And so there was definitely some clash there. And I think that's going to be an indicator of more to come on the farm bill since about 75, 80% of the farm bill is actually geared toward nutrition programs such as SNAP. But the proposed changes that were voted on would adjust the age requirements required to work or pursue training or education for at least 20 hours a week. Everyone's not on board with the changes, though, Tanner. And so at the Ag subcommittee meeting this week, uh, we're going to see that probably continued to be discussed. And so we'll keep an eye out here. But the Limit, Save and Grow Act wasn't one I'd heard of and don't know if it's going to pass or not, but could be one that adjusts the debt ceiling here pretty drastically moving forward. Yeah, it seems like it's becoming more and more of a focus on our political leaders right now. Janet Yellen has uh, issued a letter, which Biden responded to. He's now called for the top four congressional leaders to meet with him in the White House concerning the debt ceiling topic on May 9th. Uh, we're looking here to hopefully not get a last minute answer to suspend or increase the debt limit, uh, as a lot of analysts and congressmen are saying this can harm businessmen and consumer confidence. So uh, we'll see what that 
May 9th meeting will entail. But the last piece of news that I have, Delaney, is the FDA has approved a genome edited livestock to be processed for human consumption. So that was a mouthful. I wanted to make sure I got that said correctly. Researchers have put a project through that the regulatory oversight has now been approved for. And this is for uh, the FDA approving Washington State University to use their first ever regulatory power for the approval of a group of five gene edited hogs to be approved for human consumption. This is not a wide scale approval. The university has highlighted that the pork from these hogs will be used to make German sausages and entered into their study. The professor from the School of Molecular Biosciences at WSU used the gene editing tool CRISPR to provide opportunities for surrogate sires by knocking out the gene that makes male swine Delaney sterile and implanted another male's stem cells to produce the desired traits for the next generation of hogs. So now this next generation in the experiment has been approved to be made into food for humans and determined to be safe to eat. This is not large scale, but this is certainly the first step. And again, this is not uh, fake meat. This is not lab grown meat. This is genome edited livestock to take out a trait that is less desirable and have a more desirable trait entered. Uh, but what Washington State University is reporting on right now is this is a long ways away from being mass approved by the FDA. They're calling right now for reform within the FDA's process because getting approval was both timely, timely and costly to where looking at something like this on a large scale, it is nearly going to be impossible because the team spent more than two years, Delaney, and $200,000 to get the information together for the FDA for this approval for only five hogs. Yeah, I read this story this morning as well. It's kind of wild. Yes, it is. But that's all I've got today. How are you looking? I am out of news as well, aside from chatting markets here. And it looks like after yesterday, we're seeing things calm down just a little bit in the green markets, although soybeans uh, really continue to push higher here in the overnight. July old crop soybeans added eight cents. We'll open at 14.35 and a half. New crop beans added four pennies in the overnight to tick in at 12.79. July corn lost a penny. We'll open here this morning at 583 and a half. Dece new crop corn down three cents to open at 522 and a quarter. July hard red winter wheat shed three pennies in the overnight to clock in at 754 and a quarter. And a quick reminder at where livestock closed for today, closed yesterday, excuse me, we'll open here today. June live cattle. Shed 60 cents yesterday to close at a buck 64.87 and a half. August feeders shed 62 and a half cents at 230.10. And June lean hogs shed $2 yesterday to open today at 89.70. Dinner, we're continuing the discussion about AI and chat GPT and all those good things that have been in the news lately with Todd Jansen, an ag attorney. We have been discussing many times on the podcast, AI technology is not new, but definitely becoming more and more popular within the economy and agriculture industry as well. Today, we have with us Todd Jansen, and he is a lawyer, but also holds many other 
job titles and serves on many committees and boards. Todd, if you would like to do a little rundown of your exact career and everything you sit on before we jump into everything, that would be amazing because I'm sure the listeners would love to hear all of your different qualifications. Uh, sure, Jennifer. Thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, so uh, many people have met me probably know I'm a originally a Kansas farm boy, and I went to law school in Indianapolis, Indiana, and that's where my first uh, job was. And uh, as I started doing a lot of work in the legal space, uh, we noticed in the law firm I was in that we were getting a number of ag-related cases. And so I figured out very quickly that there was a need for lawyers who could also speak the language of agriculture and so I always worked on those cases and always volunteered when they came in the door. Well, if you fast forward uh, about uh, 15 years to 2015, um, I was uh, decided to go ahead and start a law firm that was dedicated just to farmers and ag business. And it very quickly became obvious that ag technology was going to be a big part of that because there was a real need for people in the ag tech space uh, to communicate with farmers and a lawyer who had that farming background turned out to be a, a great fit. And so the rest is history, as they say. Um, but I've also, I've had the chance to serve on a number of boards and um, been uh, the president of the State Bar Association Ag Section and also the uh, federal or um, American Bar Association Ag Management Committee chairperson as well. And I currently serve as the administrator for the Ag Data Transparent Organization, which is a nonprofit collaboration among a number of companies and uh, farm organizations to try and make the contracts between technology providers and farmers better. So that's the answer in a nutshell. <laughs> Yes, definitely. Many titles you hold and hats you wear, which all is great, especially within your law firm to help you along the way with your clients. And I've been reading around a little bit on the internet about how you're also knowledgeable within technology, which is why we asked you to join today for the podcast to discuss AI technology or specifically chat GPT. So before we kind of dive into talking about how those affect the agriculture industry and its future, could you explain what AI technology and specifically the program of ChatGPT is? Yes. So AI technology, most people probably know it stands for artificial intelligence, which is kind of a, a funny phrase in and of itself. But think of AI in big in uh, the big picture as sort of two categories. One is what you might consider narrow AI or um, machine learning. And narrow AI is something where a machine is trained to do one task, more or less, or make one decision, and it uses a bunch of data to make that decision. And what makes AI different from just a, a robot that, let's say, you press a button and it does something, is that AI means that the machine is actually getting smarter. So it's learning from the mistakes that it makes along the way. And each time it does something, it gets a little bit smarter based upon what it did in the past. The other part of AI, which is really where we are now and what's generated a lot of buzz would be the more general AI, which 
general AI, uh, it's not my definition, but is where you have, uh, you know, a computerized program that is actually trying to mirror human behavior and the capabilities of a human to solve a more difficult problem. And chat GPT is one of those sort of uh, general AIs. And what it does, um, it is a, considered to be generative AI, which means that it is capable of generating completely new content that didn't exist anywhere out there before based upon all of that data that it has learned. And it is using data that is, at least as far as we know, all publicly available data but it uses it from many sources to come up uh, with new content. And so that's that's what ChatGPT is and what all the talk is about today. Yeah, and for some people, this technology can come off as scary or overwhelming or a little bit invasive as well, based off of all of the different capabilities it possesses. But looking at the future of the agriculture industry, how can those farmers and, and people within the ag industry use this technology to their advantage based off of all of its capabilities that can be a little alarming at times for certain individuals. Yeah, if you think about it, in many ways, we've already seen a lot of AI technology in places that we just don't even really think about. And, you know, like uh, chat bots are one example in many websites when you enter a question in, let's say, it'll say chat now. Most of the time, that is not an actual human on the other end, but it's just a chat bot. So it's a computer learning based upon the, you know, 5,000 times someone has answered a certain question. This is the answer they are most likely looking for. And if you say, no, that's not the right answer, then it will make a better guess the next time. So in many places, this is already appearing, and you can see in farming as well, this could be very helpful, right? If you have a, a machine that breaks down and you are trying to figure out step-by-step step how to fix it, this sort of technology could walk you through that in a way that might be very difficult for a human to do just because, you know, first of all, there aren't enough people in these professions, and second of all, they may not be able to draw from a vast pool of information as easily as a computer could. Um, and really, when I think about the technology uses in agriculture, anywhere where we have just vast amounts of data and we need help making decisions based upon that data, the AI technologies are going to be very helpful. Like um, a good example might be where you have uh, you're trying to figure out what variety of corn to plant this year in a certain field. Well, there are many, many different varieties that somebody could plant, right? And there are many different uh, types of soil profiles and the weather is different in every single place in the United States. Uh, pest pressures are different everywhere, but AI would have the capability of saying, looking at all that data, and not just the farmer's data, but say national global weather data to make predictions and say, these are the best types of corn, the best varieties to plant on this particular field. And so it could do that in a way that would probably be impossible for a human. 
when I think too, though, about it's not all rosy, of course, you might have uh, some things where AI goes off the tracks, right, and makes the wrong decision. And then now, instead of there being a person to blame for that, you just have this uh, computer program, in essence, that made the wrong decision. And I think it's important to remember with AI that it is only as good as the data that it is able to learn from. And so if you have bad data that it is learning from, it's going to have bad results. And looking down the road, where I think a lot of this will head is we'll start to see companies more and more engage in trying to figure out, you know, how are these AI tools looking at the information and what can we do to feed the AI tools data that will skew results in our favor, right? Is there a way that we can provide yield information for our corn varieties so that if there are AI programs out there that help make farmers' decisions, that they will skew towards our products, right? And so we're going to see marketing departments really engage in trying to figure out how do we game the system with respect to the AI platforms that are out there. And it's it's no different than what you see now with companies trying to create uh, uh, search engine optimization. So when you type something in Google, their name comes up first. So we'll just see more and more of that with uh, platforms like chat GPT, I think, in the long run. Absolutely. You listed off a lot of great advantages and disadvantages for consumers of this technology to keep in mind. And I also think it's great that you discussed the future look at this area of innovation. Because, for example, FBN recently announced their new and kind of own formation of ChatGPT, and they titled it Norm, kind of after um, Norman Borlaug of Iowa. So it's becoming more and more popular and has already been around in forms that people haven't generally been aware of entirely, like you mentioned on chatbots. So I think a good question to kind of lead into that many people are thinking about is with some of the decisions that these AI and chatbots are able to make, what is and isn't considered legal or what do the legalities of this all look like? The uh, the legal publications that are out there already already have a lot of talk and buzz about these things because as you can imagine, a legal the, the legal industry itself is so focused on words and uh, communication that AI is creeping into the legal industry as well. So there are a lot of legal implications, and I'll just run down a few of them. One is privacy rights, of course, because if AI is able to get its uh, used training data that might include sensitive information or personal information, how do you make sure that that information doesn't somehow leak out of AI search results or the, the products that are generated by AI? Um, so privacy concerns, that's one big one. There's another one in the legal forums that's talked about a lot, which is about respecting the rights of copyrights and data rights and IP rights, because a good example might be you may have um, 
the training data for a certain AI platform that reads copyrighted works. And those are all protected by US copyright. And then you'll ask the platform like ChatGPT to come up with its uh, a derivative work of those copyrighted materials. And it can do that. There's a real question there about whether or not those works are so unique and new as to not infringe on those copyrights, or if they are really just derivative and there is something that is owed, some attribution that should be owed to the owner of that copyright or the intellectual property or the patents or whatever it may be. So that ownership question is a really, a really big one that we're going to have to solve in the United States. We've never really had a situation where we have uh, machines that are creating new works that are completely new and creative. And who owns the copyrights to those? Who owns the intellectual property that comes from those? Um, right now in the US, um, you have to be a person or a corporation, which we recognize as a person. Um, I think the other big legal implication here is what happens when AI is wrong and creates something that might be disastrously wrong and that leads to harm down the road. We're seeing the ability to make what they call deep fakes, right? Where you have something that looks like uh, a politician is talking and saying something, but it's all fake. It's all just woven together images of that person and using past phrases they've said woven together to create something that looks like that person is saying something that they never actually said. And so those sort of legal implications are can be a little scary to think about how do we in the future separate out what is true that comes from AI and what is fabricated and created for the wrong reasons. Yes, absolutely. And I think this is a lot of great information for our listeners to keep in mind when they're using this technology or considering the various uses for their future. Is there any other important information that you think our listeners would find useful or to just keep in mind when considering AI technology? I think the most important thing is that it's only as good as the data that it is trained on. And so you have to always take the results of anything from uh, AI with a grain of salt. And if you use chat GPT much, you start to see that it is really basing a lot of its answers on what is popular, popularly put out there in the internet. And it may not actually be accurate or true. Um, I, for example, I read in Motor Trend magazine, they had AI create a car review um, of a new car that had just come out. And it wrote a review as if it had driven the car and it had created its own impressions of that car. But of course, it didn't. Right. So it was all fake, but it was just written uh, based upon the collective information that it found out there in its training data. So I think that's the important thing to think uh, when you're considering an AI tool is it's only as good as the data that it is used to train on.
Yeah, absolutely. It's amazing and crazy the different things that this is all capable of doing and creating. And it's definitely getting harder to decipher what is real and what's not real based off of what you mentioned with deep fakes as well. Well, I guess finally, if listeners would like to learn more about this topic or your law firm, where can they go to find this information? Yes, they can go to our website. We've made it very easy for people. The website domain is aglaw.us. So A-G-L-A-W.us. And specifically when you're there, there's a blog called the Janssen AgTech blog. And that's where I write about these sort of topics. But if you want to learn about other things that are more general in ag law, you can find them all over the website. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Todd. We really appreciate it. You're very welcome, Jennifer. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, there you go, Delaney. It's always fun to look at the way AI is going to be used in the future. We might have to start filming our podcast recordings because I just came across the technology that could edit the video for us for using AI and limiting our resources. But it's kind of neat to see how it ties to into agriculture as well. Yeah, I've seen that technology that you mentioned there. I've been wanting to try it. So it might be a good excuse. Yeah, absolutely. But listeners, stick with us. We'll continue to bring the latest conversations and technology related to the industry every Tuesday and maybe even more throughout the week. But today, what do you say, Delaney? Should let the listeners go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.